Hello, dear friends. This is Jordan, and you are here for On Mike with Jordan Rich, conversations with creative people. Two or three times a year, I might fall in love with a book. Well, I have one to share with you. It's called Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson. Now, another Simon, an actor with the last name Peg, you all know him, said about this book, it's beautiful, funny, heartfelt analysis of what it means to be human. Set My Heart to Five is a work of science fiction and fantasy in which a robot named Jared sets out on an adventure to find and understand human emotion. It's hysterically witty, thought-provoking, and heartfelt. I highly recommend it. And I'm very excited to introduce the author, Simon Stevenson, as together we go on mic. Simon, uh, set my heart to five. For those who haven't yet read it, and they will, explain the title. Let's start with that. Sure. Well, the title is uh, a reference to the fact that the narrator is an android, and his name is Jared, and his um, one of his things is that he likes to try and seem as reassuringly human as possible. And he's, he's learned that humans like to talk about our parents and our ancestors, um, and Jared's operating system that he runs on was originally developed for use in domestic appliances, such as the toaster. Um, <laughs> if you have a toast in your house, it probably only goes up to five. There are some that go to others. I've discovered since writing the book, but mostly they're five. So uh, when Jared says, set it to five, this is how he expresses maximal enthusiasm, whilst also kind of paying homage to his ancestors. And so set my heart to five is, is a reference to that, because I, the book is sort of Jared's journey of discovering feelings and, and what they mean. Somewhere Isaac Asimov is smiling, uh, who, the creator of iRobot and all the rest. Yeah, this, this... yeah, I mean, he, he's either smiling or, or rolling over in his grave. <laughs> I, I can never quite decide which one. There are so many things to get to, and we'll just touch on a few, because uh, my love of this book is threefold, fourfold, but one of the things I love is the connection to movies. And in the book, the character, the bot, if you will, Jared, finds an emotional release by viewing, in, in this case, old movies. Let's talk about when this takes place. This story, Set My Heart to Five, is is obviously in the future. When do you set it? Yeah, so the book takes place in 2053 and 2054. Okay. Um, and I always like to say that it's not a dystopia. You know, it's, uh, um, I always find dystopia, I, I love reading dystopias, but I find them kind of too efficient and they don't take into account how, you know, how ridiculous we are as humans. So the 2054 that Jared lives in, humans have locked ourselves out of the internet by forgetting the names of our first <laughs> teachers and our favorite pets. Yes. And Elon Musk has incinerated the moon. Just, just to give you a kind of a, a bit of background of, of the world that Jared lives in. Right. But on the upside, we have androids. And so movies in 2054 then are mainly going to be one thing, which is uh, if, if you sort of extrapolate the way, I suppose, popular cinema has been going for the past 10 or 20 years at this point, the, the, the big extravaganza movies just get bigger and bigger all the time, don't they? So, so the idea is that in 2054, if you want to see a movie at the the multiplex or the megaplex, as it will be known by then, uh, that movie's going to be like a five-hour-long Marvel extravaganza about a killer robot. <laughs> so Jared, of course, being an android himself, isn't really, that's not up his street. And luckily, there's another kind of movie which plays, which is, um, as you mentioned, old movies. And the idea is that when, when we locked ourselves out of the internet, and that happened in about 2037, what happened was all of the stuff, all of the culture that was stored digitally was just lost. 
And that would mean that all the movies made from about 2000 onwards were lost because they're just stored on a hard drive somewhere in the studio. And so, so what you would then be left with would be movies that had been stored physically on actual film. And of course, the movies that would be most likely to survive would be movies simply of which they had a lot of copies. So that would be the big blockbuster movies of late 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s. Um, and those are kind of the movies that, that Jared finds and falls in love with. Right. And he's among others, humans who are called nostalgists, I guess, who dig that kind of thing, which is a great connection he makes with certain human beings. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I quite like the joke of, I mean, I think, you know, there's always people that, you know, like to look back and like the analog things, and I'm probably one of them myself. I would probably be a nostalgic in this in this future. Um, but I quite like the idea that, uh, you know, if, you, if you're into sort of repertory cinema these days, you know, you, you, you go off and see a, a five-hour-long black-and-white French documentary from 1964, <laughs> and you come back and you tell all your friends that it was brilliant, but they probably wouldn't enjoy it because it's an acquired taste and it's art and, and all that stuff. And I love the idea that in 2054, if you're that person, you go off and see Titanic, and then you come <laughs> back and still sort of intellectually lord it over your friends with the fact that you've seen this movie that is, is rare and obscure and they won't know about well, well, the references are cool because you don't name the films necessarily, but the reader will love figuring out uh, what they are. And, of course, one of them, which is very critical to the plot line, really, is Blade Runner. It's really great how you wove this storyline throughout. And in the process, just so we let people know basically what's happening, Jared is set on writing his story, in this case a screenplay, creating a movie not about killer robots, but about robots with feelings. Kind of a nice twist for the plot. Thank you. In terms of the writing of his character and his voice, it's very mechanical at times. It's also very funny. And I noticed, I'm sure a lot of people have noticed this, multiple paragraphs and also lots of exclamation points. Is that intentional? Absolutely, yes, yes. So, um, I mean, this was one of the challenges, I think, of writing in an Android voice is you want to make it sort of convincing, but you also don't want to put people off too much. Um, and it's a really fine balance. Um, I think, you know, we tend to think of robots as, you know, they're going to be these terrible killer monsters from the future. And in fact, in my life, uh, I find most of the technology makes my life a lot easier. So I have a robotic vacuum cleaner and, mm. and I love it. And it's, you know, it is enthusiastic. It, it never stops. You turn it on and it'll just keep going until it runs out of batteries. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to capture that enthusiasm a bit with the exclamation marks. And um, so the idea that, you know, we think, you know, robots are going to be, you know, the worst of us, but actually they're going to be the best. They're going to be enthusiastic and helpful. And sometimes they're going to be a bit too enthusiastic and helpful, which, of course, is its own problem. Well, in the case of your hero, and he's a dentist. He's a robot dentist who's performing dentistry with great aplomb, I guess. And that's what the robots in 2054 are all about. They're service bots for the most part, correct? Absolutely. We're going to make the robots do the jobs that we don't want to do anymore. And uh, with apologies to any dentists listening, I suspect dentistry may be one of them. <laughs> 
We're talking here about a fabulous new book that I absolutely adore called Set My Heart to Five, a novel by Simon Stevenson. And we'll chat with Simon a bit later about what he is up to, his background and his work in film. But so many things strike me about this book. And one of them, of course, is the fact that it's really a story about being an outsider, being someone who's searching. And it's one of the great arcs of any wonderful story is that search <laughs> by the hero. I mean, I, I suppose first to say that I'm always kind of wary of, you know, things that have too overt a message. So in the first instance, I would love it if people simply enjoy the book and, and you know, laugh and, and cry as, as they go through it. My, I was partly influenced by the kind of movies that Jared watches, actually. So the Forrest Gumps and the Shawshank Redemptions, mm. those movies that I fell in love with that when you go and see them, they take you on this kind of emotional roller coaster, and at the end you have this real sense of catharsis of having experienced the story well told. And the kind of the lofty goal I set myself was to try and give the reader that experience. In terms of the uh, the the emotion and the connectivity, definitely the, that sort of endless quest for belonging and wanting to fit in I think is really I think the reason it's so present in literature and movies is it's such a universal human thing and it's certainly something I can relate to and I think a lot of Jared's awkwardness because you know he can see humans having fun in community and he wants to get involved in it and he just worries that maybe he'll say the wrong thing or, or maybe not quite know how to do it and you know, that's all been part of my personal journey as well, in, in, in all honesty. So um, uh, I, I suppose um, uh, I, I would lo- like, Jared sets out to sort of mm. end his loneliness. He wants to find connection. And of course, you know, I love nothing more than when I read a book and, and I feel it's connected with me. And I would love it if, you know, people read this book and get something of that same sort of connection. Interesting. I'm not going to give away anything because uh, there are surprises throughout, but at the conclusion of the book, two movies or two stories hit me, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but this is just me. Meet John Doe, the famous Frank Capra film that takes place on a bridge, and Jean Valjean uh, running from his nemesis. Those two <laughs> images, those two storylines were floating through my head. And again, I think that's what you, you did, whether it was intentional or not. You let us take our imaginations and run wild, especially movie oh, fans. How, how fascinating. Yeah. So, so I have to confess, I, I, I'm a huge Capra fan. I have not seen that one. That's the one I have not seen. So I can't, I can't claim to right. em, emulate that. But certainly the spirit of those movies, I think. Right. You know, that spirit, you know, infused a lot of those movies of even the 90s that I was, you know, referencing earlier. And, and I think certainly in the whole book that, you know, Capra's, you know, optimistic worldview that good can ultimately triumph is is certainly something I'm uh, ab- absolutely on board with. And and I hadn't I hadn't considered the um, uh, the Les Miserables, the Miz, but yeah. actually <laughs> that makes that makes perfect sense as well because um, I slightly had more in mind. So in the book, Jared's of course being pursued by an agent from the Bureau of Robotics, who, who are the agency who, who are charged with you know making sure androids don't misbehave. And I slightly had in mind um, the Harvey Keitel character in Thelma and Louise. You know, he's, he's, right. he's stalking them and he's on their trail and he's, you know, but he kind of has an arc of his own. And I was hoping to, that, that was definitely one of the influences. Um, but, but of course, uh, absolutely, Les Miserables has, has a fairly similar sort of relationship mm. between 
you know, the protagonist and, and, and the person pursuing him. And of course, it's in Blade Runner as well, isn't it? With oh, yes. Deckard and, Absolutely. And, and, and um, it's funny, I can't, I, I feel like Les Miserables may have been ruined for me because, um, of course, the most recent version I saw was the, uh, the movie with Russell Crowe and uh, um, Hugh Jackman. And uh, I love Russell Crowe. I think he's an incredible actor, but I just think he was, you know, they didn't do him any favors by casting him in that and making him sing because, you know, he's supposed to be this menacing character that any time he comes on screen, we're scared of him. But he actually just looks scared every time he comes on screen because <laughs> he knows he's going to have to sing. Which might account for the new movie he's in playing an irate driver in traffic trying to kill people. I don't know. Maybe it's connected. Much, uh, <laughs> much better fit, right? I mean, you see that immediately. Yes. You're like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, let's talk about the humor in the book because I've read a lot of books and I, I love humor. And to be consistently, let's put it this way, wry in a robotic sense on almost every, certainly on every page, takes some doing. How much of a painstaking process was it or are you just the kind of guy who thinks funny when you wake up in the morning and let it fly <laughs> it, it's a good question i mean i'm probably i'm probably the kind of guy that makes too many jokes in all honesty you, you know in my in in my life my friends are always groaning and telling me to quit the puns and the dad jokes so <laughs> in a way this 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 is the perfect book for me because of course yes. jared is you know a bit too enthusiastic in his humor and he loves a pun and he loves a he loves a, a, a dad joke so um yeah, it's definitely, um, uh, it definitely comes, that side of thing comes fairly naturally to me. And also really influenced by, um, you know, some of the great American humor writers were always my favorites. So the Damon Runyons and the Ring Lardners, you, you know, go, go, Mark Twain going all the way back. And, and I think they were so funny and often on that, you know, sentence by sentence level. Well, uh, I don't know if people have compared you to the man I'm going to bring up, but Douglas Adams comes to mind. Uh, I think he's a little more silly, but I think you guys are on a similar plane, which is a high compliment. <laughs> you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe Thank and all you. that, because it's 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 the Absolutely. kind of it's the kind of thing I'm I'm in bed reading this thing, laughing to myself and laughing a little louder than I should, but uh, really a lot of fun. I want to uh, just take a brief detour and talk a little bit about you, and then we'll come back and focus on where this book sure. is going. It says here that you uh, are a medical doctor by training. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. I, I am, yeah. So um, I, should, I should start by saying that I'm, I'm obviously I'm British, and it's just a slightly different thing there because you go to medical school as your undergraduate degree. And that means that you decide to be a doctor when you're, you know, basically 15 or 16 years old. And if you're a smart and precocious kid and you know what that job involves and you know what you want from life, that's great. If you're me and the first series of ER starts showing on television just at the wrong time, um, you, you may leap into a career in medicine and then, you know, find yourself in Los Angeles writing screenplays mm. 30 years later and realize that <laughs> maybe what you were drawn to in the first place wasn't the hospital and the blood and guts, but actually the storytelling on that show. Interesting. And the other point of order is a book that you wrote, your first one called Let Not the Waves of the Sea, which is a totally different, important book for you and for readers that has to do with your late brother. Tell us more about that, if you would. Yeah, so, so I lost my brother in the Indian Ocean tsunami in mm. 2004. He was on holiday in Thailand with his girlfriend. It was, it was the two of them. Um, and I wrote over a period of years uh, a memoir about that experience, sort of, 
you know, a mix of um, all those great memories of growing up with my brother. We were very close in age. We were only a year apart. Um, I spent a lot of time in Thailand after I wasn't there at the time, but I found it very healing to be there and, you know, experiencing the things he had, he had enjoyed. Um, and so, yeah, it all came together in a, in, in, in a memoir that uh, was published in 2011, and it did very well. It got amazing reviews. Um, it won a small prize in Scotland, where I'm from. I don't know that many people that I'm not related to bought it, um, but that's fine. You, you know, I think, you know, for me, the important thing with that book was it was just this story that I had to, you know, I had to set down and I had to, I had to tell. And, and I'm so glad I did because there's things in it that I, 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 I kind of revisited a bit, a little bit doing the press for, for this book. And, mm. you, you know, there's things in the book that I, I couldn't, I can't really remember writing. And, and yet, you know, there they are. And, and it's just a great record of, of that time and of my brother and of, of the precious memories. Wonderful, a cathartic, and also important to keep those memories alive and to set the stage for people to, to understand what happened. Okay, it, it would be unfair of me not to mention the fact that on the back of the book cover, where it has your name and the logo of the book, which is a toaster, <laughs> it says former Pixar screenwriter, which gets everybody to pay attention. I honestly, on purpose, didn't IMDB you because I wanted to hear from you what you actually did for I'm a huge Pixar fan, as most people are. What was your role? Oh, great. Well, so um, uh, I was a, uh, a screenwriter there. Um, so that their model is, and, and this, this, none of this is a secret. This is all, I think this is all mm-hmm. something to talk about. So, so, so their model is very director-driven. So um, the, the directors there are all sort of, they tend to be from an animation background. And they, when, when it's time, when they're sort of selected to be the person to, to make a movie, they have to then pitch a story uh, which is kind of usually based on some sort of personal experience uh, of theirs. And then they hire on a writer to kind of work with them and bring that story to life. So, so as a screenwriter there, you're, you're, you're definitely very much, um, you know, collaborating with someone to, to bring their vision to the screen rather than, you know, going in and telling them how you would do it or, or what, your, I see. What, what your story is you want to tell. Um, so, so I was doing that. Um, unfortunately, the film hasn't been released yet, so I think that's probably... Um, about as much as I, I can say okay. about it, but um, it should appear in the next year or two, and um, hopefully we can talk about it then. I would love to have you back to talk about that. Now, on the press coverage of the book that you're selling today, which I urge people to get, Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson, soon to be a major motion picture. A lot of authors say that. A lot of publicists say that. But I have a feeling this is this is going to be uh, streamlined right to the screen, wherever that screen may be in the future. This has got movie written all over it. Tell me how that's progressing and what you see for it. Yeah, well, well I hope so. I mean, I, th- I think you're right that... Um we also have to be a little bit cautious with this, don't we? So I've definitely been Understood. out here in Los Angeles long enough to know, you know, not to get too excited until the cameras start rolling. Um, all that said, we're, we're in a great position. So I was very lucky that um, you and your listeners probably know this, that what the real determinant of what gets a movie made is, is a director and, and a director that's passionate to do it. Um, and so I was very lucky that the director, Edgar Wright, read mm. the novel and responded to it and wanted to, about making it into movies so um he came on board and we have a script and uh it's now you know i think i think at the best of times there's, there's a lot of pieces that need to fall into place for a movie to go ahead but of course this isn't the best of times in in the world for lots of reasons so i'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed um and hopefully hopefully before too long this will make 
an actor's career because it's a, a lot like the Mr. Spock story. You know, the unfeeling right. gets feelings. I'll just tell you who I foresaw as I'm reading this. Steve Carell and or Edward Norton, two of the best actors out there. I could see either one oh. of them knocking it out of the park. <laughs> oh, amazing. Both, both incredible actors and absolutely would, would, would do a brilliant job. Um, luckily, you know, as, as you know, as the writer, that's thankfully not something I... I get much say in because I would just, you know, I would say all of them to, to just get them all to do it. What I did want to mention too, and this is just uh, inside baseball kind of stuff, but I love the fact that it's a a writing project within a writing project. As we're reading the book, we're reading the screenplay, let's just put it that way, of of Jared, a.k.a. Brad. You'll find out more when you read it, folks. And it's really neat because I know you're a screenwriter, so it, it's it's the combination of both novel and screenplay. Uh, that That's an, an interesting device. I just enjoyed reading it that way. Thank you. Yeah, there's, um, as, as, as you sort of alluded to, there's... You know, there's a few sections of the book that are written in written in screenplay format, and of course, you know, I thought I had invented that genre, and I was very proudly telling everyone that I've invented this new thing. Um, and someone pointed out to me that as far back as Moby Dick, Moby Dick has a chapter <laughs> that's written in, in in stage play. So, so there's nothing new under the sun, even even if I claim there is. Well, as mentioned, funny and touching at the same time. And uh, Simon Pegg, the actor whom I've interviewed for his own uh, writings. And he's a wonderful, wonderful talent, wrote, a, quote, a beautiful, funny, heartfelt analysis of what it means to be human. It doesn't get any better than that in terms of quotes from somebody like Simon. That was terrific. Oh, oh it, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, I was, you know, so grateful and just delighted that, that you know, he, he liked it because, of course, yeah, I'm, I'm his huge fan as, as the rest of the world are. And let me just note that he would also make uh, for a very interesting Jared as the, the head robot. He would be terrific. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Simon, I am so happy to meet you. And uh, again, I, I can't wait to share this news with everyone that Set My Heart to Five, a new novel by Simon Stevenson, is a must read. And you don't have to be a sci-fi, a geeky kind of person as I am. You, you will enjoy it because it's, it's about humanity. Uh, thank you so much, my friend, and good luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate all the support. Set My Heart to Five by Simon Stevenson. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry of Char Productions, and especially you for finding this podcast, subscribing to it, and telling your friends. Until next time, this is Jordan, as always, saying be well so you can do good. Take care. Take care.